0: These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, we open up your word now, and we ask that your spirit would come and speak powerfully to us today. God, as we look out over this upcoming year here on January 1st, I pray that you would give us godly and good resolves Knowing that according to your word, you will fulfill every resolve for good and every work of power, every work of faith by your power. So, God, help us today to make sense of this. Help us to see Jesus, not just intellectually, but experientially as the vine. And we are branches. And to make our aim this year to abide in Christ to stay in Him, to remain in Him. In Jesus' name, amen. On the first of the year, or toward the first of the year, do you look out over the upcoming year with dread or with joy? Maybe you'd say neither, okay? With anxiety or with confidence? Or, Do you just look out at the upcoming year with a sense of drab sameness? Everything's going to be the same. Nothing's going to be different. Nothing is going to change. Everything's going to be exactly the way that it's always been. If you could, if 2017 could be a year of incredible fruitfulness in your life, fruitfulness in personal transformation, fruitfulness and in your, in your witness to other people about Jesus. If 2017 could be a year that is known in your life as a year where lots of prayers were answered. If 2017 was, was a year when God was massively glorified in your life and 2017 was a year when you experienced explosive joy, would you look forward to it with anticipation? I'm not getting much response. Okay, I mean, I would. I mean, these are the things I most deeply long for. Right? I most deeply long to experience a vitality of life in Christ. So there's fruitfulness in my life. Answered prayer is the norm. God is glorified. And explosive joy is my experience. Well, 2017 can be a year like that. It comes from abiding in christ it comes from remaining in jesus may the banner over 2017 be for you jesus is the vine i am a branch abiding in him jesus is the true vine he says and i am a branch abiding in him but oftentimes the christian life seems like it's more about our effort Than God's effort it's more about what we do than about what God has done or what God is doing so the Christian life is one of abiding it's not so much what we have done or what we do but what God has done what God is doing it's not so much about our effort as it is about God's effort Ray Ortland is a pastor in Nashville and he says the Christian life is abiding it's abiding in Christ Doing life on your own and calling on God when it falls apart is Bible Belt religion. Doing life on your own and then when it's falling apart, desperation, calling out to God for help. That's just religion. That's, that's not what we want. That's, there's no life there. That's all about our effort. And then when our, our effort fails, then we call on God for his help. The New Testament teaches that we are not just near Jesus or merely supposed to follow Jesus, but that we are in Jesus, that we are in Christ. In fact, one of the, probably the main designation Paul gives to Christians, the main way he identifies Christians is that Christians are men and women who are in Christ. They are in Jesus. What that means is that they were, we, we all once were in Adam And because we were in Adam, we were sinners to the core, born in sin, and enslaved to sin. But when we came to Christ, or when Christ first came to us and we put our trust in him, we were relocated. We got a new address. We went from being in Adam to being in Christ. And what all was ours in Adam has been removed, and what all is now ours in Christ has been given to us. And it is glorious. This tr- truth of our union with Christ has massive theological and doctrinal inc- implications. But it's also a truth that is meant to be experiential in nature. When Jesus says the words, I am the vine, abide in me. And then he says, and I'm abiding in you. You are in me and I am in you. For his first, his, the, the disciples who first heard him say this, I can't imagine they thought of this as just an abstract theological statement, but it was deeply—it was meant to be deeply experienced of the risen Lord Jesus abiding in us and us abiding in Him, not just with Him, but in Him. So here in John 15, Jesus unpacks this truth for us—that He is the vine and we are branches, and the Christian life at its core, at its essence, is one of abiding in Christ. We've been placed in him by God's grace, and we are to remain in him. We are to abide in him. This statement of Jesus in verse 1, I am the true vine, is the last of his I am statements. The book of John Jesus declares himself to be Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, and saying, I am. I mean, in John 8, he just says, I am, and didn't say anything after that. But he said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, I am the true vine. He says, my my disciples are branches. Those who follow me, those who have come to me, they are branches. And if they know what's best for them, they will abide in me. Jesus is the vine. We are branches. The Christian life is not so much about our effort to do and to be, but about remaining where God has placed us in Christ. So what this text does is it shows us first the possibilities of abiding in Christ. Then it shows us the marks of abiding in Christ. And then it shows us what we all want to know, the, the billion-dollar question, how do we do it? If this is a command given to us, how do we abide in Christ? So let's walk through these each one at a time. The possibilities of abiding in Christ. Do you know that it is possible? It is possible to have this this organic, dynamic, experienced union with Jesus. It is possible to abide in Christ. You may not do it very well. Sometimes I don't do it very well. We may stumble a bit or we may stumble often, but it is possible to abide. And it's possible not because it's not primarily based on your effort or willpower, but because it depends on grace and God's commitment to it. God is committed to your abiding in Christ. Isn't that amazing? God commands you to abide in Christ, but what our passage so clearly shows us is that God is very committed to seeing that Christians do abide in Christ. And it's not just Jesus, and it's not just the Father, but it's all three members of the Godhead who are actively invo- involved and excited about this. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. It just means even our effort is a work of God's grace. Let's look for just a moment at how each member of the Godhead. Christians believe that there's one God with three persons, right? There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they're all working in harmony at all times. And they are all actively involved in our abiding in Christ First, we see Christ, right? In in the first words, Jesus says, I am the true vine. As the vine, Jesus doesn't offer us a better self-help program. He doesn't even offer us a church. He offers us himself, right? He offers us himself. He offers us all that he is with his life and richness flowing into us. As the vine, Jesus supports us. We do not support him. Sometimes we we think of the Christian life as we're kind of lugging Jesus around with us. No, no, no. The vine supports the branch, not the other way around. All of your support, all that you need is given to you through the vine, who is Jesus. Jesus. As the vine, Jesus is not a rule that we're to live by, but he is life itself. Jason said just a bit ago, I want to be alive, fully alive in Christ. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, right? Whoever is in Christ, this is true of them. Jesus is not a rule to live by, but he is life and life abundantly. Jesus gives us life and breath and everything, so much so that he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. All of this life and richness of Jesus come to us by virtue of his laying down his life for us. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Later in the passage, he says, I lay my life down. Or he says, greater love is known than this, that he lays his life down for his friends. Of course, pre figuring or pre he's, he's telling about what he will do in the future so jesus is very interested in our abiding and he is accomplished and he is at work as our vine supplying everything we need but next we notice the father's work our text tells us that the father does two things in relation to the vine branch and abiding dynamic he is the vine dresser or he is the gardener The father sees his vineyard, his garden, and he loves it. He loves his son, and he loves all that are connected to his son. He loves all the branches that are remaining in Christ. And he tends to it very carefully. As the vine dresser, he is the one who has grafted us into Christ. Remember John's, uh, maybe you don't remember, but we talked through John a couple years ago. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It is the Father who drew us to Christ. It is the Father who grafted us as branches into the vine. And it is the the gardener who cuts off, or the vine dresser who cuts off branches which do not belong so that the vineyard or the vine can flourish. But next we also see the Father prunes the branches, which do bear fruit, so that they can bear more fruit. Anyone here ever pruned a tree before? If you do a good job, which we, we had someone come pr- prune some trees for us, because I don't think I did a good job the year before. Actually, Alyssa did a few years ago. But anyways, we had someone come, pr- someone come and prune our trees, and man, they took a lot off. But then the tree flourished even more the following year. If a tree could talk, when someone's pruning it, you know what a tree would say? Ouch! That's painful. And when the Father prunes us, it can be painful. It can be painful. But the Father is so interested in the the vine, Christ, and the branches that are connected to the vine, that he will do whatever it takes to see that we are healthy, that we are healthy branches, that we are flourishing in the vine. And so he prunes and he cuts things off. He cuts things away. When our hearts are given over to other things, that are not appropriate and not good, he cuts them away. And when when we struggle with sin, he disciplines us, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. And no discipline is pleasant at the time, but as a loving father, and if you're a parent, you know, as a loving parent, we discipline our kids for their own good. So the father is at work. The possibilities of abiding are It is very possible to abide because Christ is at work and the Father is at work, but also the Holy Spirit is involved as well. He's not explicitly mentioned in this passage, but he is for sure involved in our abiding in Christ. It is by the Holy Spirit's presence that we've entered into this vital union with Jesus, who is the vine. It's by his presence. Look at verses 4 and 5 of our passage. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. How does Jesus abide? How is Jesus in the believer? Is it not by his spirit? Is Jesus in us? Of course he is. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians chapter 3, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. But Christ is at the right hand of God, right? And he's going to come again bodily. So he dwells in the believer by his spirit. In the previous chapter, John chapter 14, same context, Jesus says this in verses 16 to 18. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Listen to this. You know him because he's been with you and he will be in you. And then right after that, Jesus says these words that I find so comforting, so encouraging. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How does Jesus come to us? It's by the spirit of Jesus. It's by his own spirit. The Apostle John, no doubt, remembering these words. In his first letter, 1 John 3, verse 24 says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given to us. So is it possible to abide in Christ? Is it possible to know and experience this life in Christ with all of its fullness and richness? Yes, a thousand times yes. Yes. It is possible to abide in Christ because God himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is unswerving in his commitment to it. I want to point out some marks of abiding in Christ. What is it? When someone is abiding in Christ, what are some some true marks that someone is living in the fullness of abiding in Christ? What are they? What are the marks? What does Jesus tell us here? Really, it's what all Christians, I think, long for most deeply. The marks of abiding in Christ, it's what we all long for. It's what we all want if we are Christians, if we belong to Jesus. Abiding in Christ leads to this. It it leads to vital life in Jesus. It leads to fruit. It leads to answered prayer. It leads to glory to God and it leads to joy. That's what I mentioned at the very beginning. What if 2017 was full of these things? Or what if what if it could be? Would you look with anticipation? We all said, of course. Let's think about these one at a time. Life. Life comes. When we're abiding in Christ, yes, we give up our lives, but as we heard earlier whoever loses their lives will truly find real life in Christ. I get this from the negative way in which Jesus speaks of the branches which do not abide in the vine. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The Father takes away. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Or the New American Standard Translation says, dries up. Branches that do not abide in Jesus, they dry up. There's no life there. There's nothing living. The vitality of life is gone. But when we're abiding in Christ, we are truly alive. We are really alive. We are experiencing the life of the Spirit. I can't help but think of John 7 Verse 37 to 39, when Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Of course, Jesus went on to say, or goes on to say that he was talking about the Spirit. But what what do do rivers signify? Life. There's life. This vitality of life, of course, leads to eternal life. Versus the deadness of not abiding, branches dry up. It says they're thrown into the fire, which of course signifies hell. So the marks, one mark of abiding is there is life found in Jesus. Another mark is fruit. The entire passage seems to be pressing this point. That those who abide in Christ will bear fruit. Fruit. They will be fruitful. And I love the way that there's a word added twice in this passage. It says, Much fruit. Much fruit. Verses two, excuse me, verses five and eight and sixteen. Verse five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 8. By this my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And verse 16, very similar, Jesus says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last or abide or should remain." Much fruit. We are chosen in order to bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that lasts. Now, the fruit here could certainly mean, Jesus doesn't elaborate for us, but it could mean the fruit of personal transformation, right? Think of Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These inner qualities that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. The fruitfulness, of course, could mean fruitfulness in our witness of Jesus. I mean, who doesn't want either one of these things? When we're honest with ourselves, we see areas we need to grow in. And I don't know anyone who doesn't wish that they were more effective in their witness of Jesus. Life, much fruit, answered prayer, abiding in Christ is marked by answered prayer. Verse seven. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Look at this massive promise. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, the second part of that verse can be perverted if you take it by itself, right? Jesus said, ask whatever you wish. Yes, 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 of course. But first he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If we remain in Christ and his words remain in us, then it's safe for Jesus to say, ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish. Because his words are in us. And because we are in him. We're not, we're not going to ask for stupid things. <laughs> we're going to ask for things that are in keeping with his will, that bring him glory, that bring him honor. That is for his namesake. That is for the good of his people. Is for the good of those who are outside of Christ. So abiding in Christ is marked by answer to prayer. But there's more. Abiding in Christ is marked by gl- God being glorified through our lives. Because we're bearing fruit. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so proved to be my disciples. I don't know about you, but I read a verse like that. And I'm just so deeply encouraged. God, the father really wants you and I to bear much fruit. It's not like we got to try to squeeze that out of him. Because it glorifies him. It brings him honor and glory. Our lives looking more and more like Christ bring him honor and glory. The old man being put off day after day after day, our minds being renewed. The new man being put on day after day after day. This brings him honor and glory. More and more people coming into the kingdom because the gospel's being testified to. Brings him honor and glory. And finally... Abiding in Christ is marked by joy. And not just moderate happiness. I'm not just talking about some, like, settle down now. Don't get too happy. Okay? Or the, the stern, stoic, I do have joy in Jesus. <laughs> I'm serious. It's just a really, really deep joy. Here's what Jesus said, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. He doesn't just say so that you have joy. This is amazing. He says, I have said these things to you so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full. And how else could it be if he's the vine and we're branches? then that his joy is coming into us. I mean, that his joy is in us. And how could it be otherwise that our joy would be made full if Jesus' joy is in us? Jesus said, I have said these things so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full. Uh, Overflowing, big, massive, explosive. That's why Jesus said these things so that we would have this kind of joy. Giving these marks of abiding in Christ, doesn't it give you a great desire to pursue abiding in Jesus with single-hearted passion? I mean, if, 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 if this kind of joy found in Jesus, if, I mean, every Christian deep down wants to honor God, they want to glorify him. If that's what comes from abiding, don't we want to abide in Christ? If fruitfulness comes from abiding, don't we want to abide in Christ? Of course we do. If answered prayer comes from abiding, don't we want to abide in Christ? If truly being alive comes from abiding in in the vine in whom life itself exists. Don't we want to abide there? Well, so how do we abide in Christ? How do we do this? Um, we can fall off the road into two ditches here. On one side, we can make it only abstract doctrine that we're to believe and claim by faith. And on the other side, it can just be this fuzzy, mystical thing. And it's not either one of those things. It is thoroughly doctrinal and theological and grounded in truth But there is a mystical aspect to it. So how do we abide in Christ? First, we dive deep into the gospel of Christ. We dive deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ. To abide in Christ, we must become more and more acquainted with the gospel that points us to him. Jesus says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. My words, Jesus says. My words, the words of Christ. It could be translated the message of Christ. If my message abides in you. John picked up on this in his first letter. 1 John 2, 24. And he says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. If what you heard from the beginning, if the gospel that you heard from the beginning when you were awakened by the Spirit and put your trust in Christ, if that abides in you, then you will abide in Him. You will remain in Christ. The gospel is what points us to Jesus. We need to go deeper into the person and work of Christ. What was accomplished through his death and resurrection? We need to go deeper into that. Which stirs up joy. Which stirs up a passion for Christ. Which stirs up a desire, a zeal to spread the news about Jesus to those who do not yet know him. Paul writing to a group of Christians threatened by false teaching in Colossians 3 said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ, let his words dwell in you. Let them remain in you. Let them dwell in you with richness. So dive deep into the gospel. Number two, obey the commands of Christ. obey the commands of Christ abiding in Christ requires obedience to Christ if we take the commands of Jesus and we say ah take it or leave it if i feel like it Jesus will often seem distant to you is that clear enough we cannot come to him and remain in him if we disregard what he says. The last thing Jesus said to his disciples was, I'm with you always, or the, the Great Commission, baptize, make disciples baptize and teach them to obey everything I said. Jesus, the Lord and King, gives lots of commands and we are to be obedient to them. But notice, Jesus says, that's, he says this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. But then notice what he says after that. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. <clears throat> I find that fascinating. Jesus says, keep my commandments and you will abide in me and my love. Just as I obeyed the Father. We should never think that grace or that relationship with Christ or the fact that we are friends with Jesus, Jesus himself says that here, means that obedience is not required. If it was required for the Son, the eternal Son of God to be obedient to the Father, certainly it is required of us to be obedient to Christ if we would abide in him. Verse 12, Jesus gives us the primary command that we're to obey and it's the command to love. This is my commandment. So he says, obey my commandments. Then he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So we dive deep into the gospel. We Obey the commands of Jesus. Number three, if you want to abide in Christ, you must learn to rest in the love of Christ. Resting in the love of Christ, I think. I think um, the verse that most people know in America in the Bible is John three sixteen but maybe the verse that the fewest people in America actually believe and experience is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world moderately, but he so loved the world. But many believers walk through life uncertain. Of the love of Jesus for them. The love of God for them in Christ. Hudson Taylor, a missionary in China, started China Inland Mission. He was, his life was revolutionized by this truth that Jesus is the vine and we are branches and we are to abide in him. And it all happened because a friend of his who was also a missionary sent him a letter. And in the letter, Hudson Taylor said, there's one line that I could not get past. It's like when I read this line, scales fell from my eyes. And he said this, or the, the, the letter from his friend, the line said something like this. How do we grow in our faith? In this instance of God's love for us, it is not striving for faith. It is resting in the faithful one. How do, we, how do we believe that Christ loves us? It's not because we try to work up enough faith and get ourselves into a frenzy or whatever. It's that we rest in the faithful one. We rest in Christ. Abiding in Christ comes from restful, happy assurance of his love for you. The love which nothing can separate you from, but causes you to conquer through all of life's difficulties and trials. Verse 9 is unspeakably amazing. Jesus said, As the Father loves me, so have I loved you. How did the Father love Jesus? Big time. For a long time. Perfectly. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. It's like Jesus wants to give us a grasp of the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of his love for us. And and so he compares it to the love that the Father has for him. Then in verse 13, Jesus shows how his love was manifested. It was manifested in time when he laid down his life for his friends. So to abide in Christ, we dive deep into the gospel of Christ. We obey the commands of Christ. We rest in the love of Christ. And finally, we fe- learn to fellowship with the Spirit of Christ. <clears throat> we learn to fellowship with the Spirit of Christ. We are branches. So we are incapable of producing anything on our own. We have no life in ourselves. It comes from Christ. Christ. The Spirit has come to reveal the deep things of God. He leads us into the truth of the gospel. It is a Spirit who strengthens us, enabling us to obey the commands of Christ. It is a Spirit through whom the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And He's in us. And He's a person. He's not an it. He's not an impersonal force. He is a person. Could it be that it is at this point that many evangelicals fail to live in consistent, intimate communion with the living Christ? Because the helper that Jesus sent isn't known very well. Sadly many evangelical or many for many Christians across the board the typical relationship between them and the holy spirit is like that between the husband and a wife in a bad marriage here's what i mean not because there's fighting could be that too i suppose but they live under the same roof the husband makes constant use of the wife's services but he fails to communicate with her he fails to recognize her presence, and he never celebrates their relationship. Richard Lovelace, who wrote a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, helps us. Because I i thought about that this week. It's like, hmm. I talk about the